Welcome to Creative Writing, the best podcast you're listening to right now. Unless, of course, you have two devices running and you're listening to two podcasts simultaneously. In which case, the other one is probably better. That's right. It's better, guaranteed. Hey, welcome to episode 55 of the Creative Writing Motorcycle Podcast. I hope you're doing good this evening, afternoon, morning, whenever you're listening to this. And uh, I'm not here right now, just so you know. By the time you're hearing this, I am long gone. Out of the city, baby. Yeah, I'm going to go froden this weekend. I'm going to get out there and get on four wheels, maybe go dirt biking. I don't know. I don't have a dirt bike, so depends on if I take my bike and some dirt. Uh, all right. So, hey, right off the bat, uh, there's a couple things I wanted to talk about. Lots of listener feedback over the last couple, pardon me, the last couple episodes. I guess people are getting back from the holidays and catching up. Probably didn't have a lot of time to listen to stuff over the holiday weekends or whatnot. Or, you know, they just realized they need a break from all this excitement that is this wonderful voice popping into your ears right now. And uh, so we got into it a little bit over the past week with with a bunch of emails and texts and death threats. I I mean, listener feedback. So I'm going to get into some of that right away. Uh, Last episode, I have to tell you, last episode was kind of weird. And it was a two hour or it was over two hours long. And I had to edit it out. When I went back to edit some of it out, I guess it maybe lost a little bit of its spunk. So the first piece of listener feedback that I want to get to comes from Bri Viffer. And I know y'all don't know Bri Viffer. You do know Bri Viffer, actually. I talk about him all the time, but um, I don't call him Bri Viffer. See, that's his hipster name. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, go back a few episodes ago and learn how to make your hipster name. I should actually probably just put it up on our page somewhere. And actually, that's I may just do that. Uh, great idea, me. Why don't I just tire me for to doing... Oh, wait, I do all my stuff. <laughs> anyway, yeah, so let's get into some listener feedback and quit being a total idiot. All right, I was talking about you being an idiot, by the way, not me. And man, I love those short segues. I think they're so funny. Um, so the first email comes to us from Bry Viffer, and Bry was kind of giving me some feedback based on the IMS. I'm going to let you guys in on a little email thread that we shared. Uh, the first one from him was, "I was let me do it in his voice. <clears throat> I was a little bummed out they didn't have the new Honda Interceptor 800. I was also bummed I didn't get to see Eric Buell, but I did sit on his new bike. I watched the video you shot. Sound creepy. I never get to talk to industry folks. It's only promotional people that are there, and they don't aren't exact bike experts. Sometimes they're dealers, but not usually at the major OEMs. Did you check out the three-wheelers? I was going to check out the slingshot demo ride, but it started to rain, and then I saw the Vanderhall. I thought those looked great. I liked the classic look of the Venice. We made our annual stop at Joe Jost's after the show, and I OD'd on pickled eggs. I made my own batch before I left for this trip. They should be ready when I get home this weekend. Were you drinking during the video game segment? It was like you were on three-quarter speed. Still, I downloaded SBK and the Trials game. Whoop! 
And then his tagline, what till you drop? Yeah. And if you don't know what what is, it's um, wrangle. <laughs> it's wide open throttle. Damn it. I'm not fast enough to think of something funny. Ah, hence the show. So anyway, thank you, Bri, for that missive. Now, he was a little bummed, and you can tell, he's like, he's badass. He talks like Batman. So, uh, if you didn't get that there. He was a little bummed they didn't have the new Honda Interceptor 800. And to be honest, I didn't know they were coming out with the Honda Interceptor 800. I thought they quit producing those in 2015, so I didn't know they were bringing them back. I do know that they had the Viffer, you know, a couple years ago. They quit making that in 2013, as far as I know. But that was a 1200, and that was the DCT thing, thingamajigger. And I know that that thing basically was cloned and bigger tires, or better tires, I guess, were put on it in a little bit of different body, which was what is now the VFR 1200X. See, they take the VFR 1200F or whatever it was and turn it to the VFR 1200X. And all they did was throw on some ADB shocks and, you know, ADB accessories. Um, So, yeah, I did not know they were coming out with the Interceptor 800. If anybody knows any of this, please email the show. He was also bummed that he didn't get to see Eric Buell, but he sat on the new bike. Well, I should read my email back to him so I don't double cover this stuff. But um, And the fact that he never gets to talk to industry folks, only the promotional people that are there that aren't exact bike experts, it, it really says a lot about the show. I guess I can read you back what I told him. So I said, uh, you know, I didn't know they still had an interceptor, which is what I just told you. Um, and the only reason that the press got to see Eric Buell and anybody there that was that Uh, there on that Friday is the sales crew and the PR guys were still at the airport during the tour. And he even said, I'm alone. You know, I'm I'm here. He he came in with the bikes and, uh, you know, the the guys that run Liquid Asset, he's just the technician. He's like the chief mechanic now. And the guys that run Liquid Asset were still getting off the plane or stuck on the plane or maybe hadn't even arrived to LAX uh, the morning of the tour. So they were going to be there later for the for the you know, the press and the the public. That's the only reason I got to see Eric Buell and really the only reason he was hanging around. He did come back at four o'clock to do a little press presentation, but that was just his own deal. Like there wasn't even a PA for him to talk into. He was basically yelling over the crowd that was assembled there and kind of trying to walk people around the bikes. So you really don't get to talk to industry guys when you're there. That's the thing. I was lucky that I got to talk to Kata, and he was the only real guy, like really from the factory in Japan, that I've ever seen or talked to that knows shit about what's going on since he was the actual lead designer of the, you know, the Rebel project and the Rebel redesign project. And even he, you know, even he was tight lips about a lot of the stuff that they did. And so it's so funny. Most of the factory reps that are there are just that reps. And I kind of I told Paul that, uh, you know, he and I could probably read a few brochures and do the jobs that these guys do. You know, they memorize some key points. They're really good speakers. Maybe they're even enthusiasts, but they aren't the designers. They aren't the uh, even the um like engineers or anything like that. These are just literally PR and sales guys that kind of are the head of marketing and the head of sales. And once in a great while, they'll bring out a designer. But the designers are the guys that they lock in the back of the warehouse that are hunched over their CAD programs and this and that. And it's really not that, you know, one designer might be just making one specific part of the motor or one specific part of the chassis. That's why even they butt heads. You know, sometimes the designers 
and the engineers like buttheads because you got to try and fit this cool um, motor into this crazy frame. And it's like they all have to work together. So those guys get locked in a room together to fight it out. And the guys that you talk to don't know anything besides the figures that they've remembered. And that's, that's, that's okay. Those guys that really know the figures are really only there for press day because by the time the public gets there, there's brochures set out. Everything you could possibly want to know that they've told us is there in the brochures. And it's a little bit misleading. Oh, it's, um, you know, like they said, we have 17 new uh, BMWs coming out. But what they really meant was we have like four Scrambler variants, two G310 variants. Uh, we've added a slipper clutch and some electronics to the S1000R. And, you know, we've added some, a bunch of, a bunch of uh, TF, not TFT, but a bunch of uh, OBD stuff to the instrument clusters on all the bikes. So we're calling them new because we might have like for uh, the Euro 4 emissions, we had to add a light on there or something like that to let you know some certain emissions thing. And then so we had to redo some body work around that. So that's a new, you know, 17 new models BS. They really had uh, the G310 was like really the only new model. And the K1600B, which wasn't even at the show, but may have been there a couple of days later for the public. I have no idea. Those were the real new models. Uh, everything else we'd seen before. And the Scrambler, the Urban GS, all that crap. It's basically the R9T with stuff bolted on. So it is, uh, you know, Bri, I have to say that the, the, the media days really are nothing special. We actually get to see less stuff because there's no... It's not like the old days when I used to go and they would have the progressive rock band would come out even just a couple of years ago. The last couple of years, they haven't done that. Um, maybe it's too early for those kids to wake up and play. I mean, they are still teenagers. But the progressive rock, uh, School of Rock, isn't there anymore. The I think the first year I went, or the first two years I went, they had stunt shows. And hell, the first two years I went is before the economy dropped out. And so it took up both halls at the exhibition center. One hall was all vendors. And I mean, literally every vendor uh, was there. And then the other hall was like the vintage corner and the custom bikes and the stunt show was actually inside. And nowadays uh, the stunt show is only on, they might, might've had one Friday night. I forget, but test rides are only like one day and it rains Sunday. So I don't think they were doing them. So yeah, the the days that the public goes is really the the better days to go, except for that it's like a crazy madhouse just full of people, and that's why they do media days on Friday. The media doesn't really care about doing demo rides and this and that because they probably got a press bike months before. So it's not likely that you're gonna run into industry guys at the show. So Bri, don't feel bad. The only reason I got to talk to these guys is because they were just standing around. Nobody wanted to talk to him. You know, everybody else had heard that the Rebel got released at the press launch the night before. And uh, I guess not more people were too busy having uncontrollable erections over the KTMs to notice that the Rebel, you know, 300 and 500 were out. So that's the only reason I got to talk to that guy. And then Eric Buell, you know, it's so funny. He's just cruising around and nobody's like, hey, who's that old guy in the denim? You know, who's that Jay Leno lookalike? Well, it's Eric Buell. So, yeah. And, you know, uh, I did, speaking, and then moving on to the three-wheelers that he asked about, 
I did check out the v, the three wheelers and the Vanderhalls were actually on the part of the tour and everybody kind of snickered uh, just because they weren't bikes. I wouldn't say they're crazy expensive, but they're more expensive than a bike. I mean, if you're looking for like a niche and, and one of them was one of them was like 50 grand. And the guy even said the price points a little high on this or these or whatever. Uh, you know, when, when the guy that's making it kind of says, well, we've kind of priced them out of this particular market, then it, you know, I consider that a little bit crazy expensive. So they're not expensive for a car, but they're not a car. They're a three wheeler and they are expensive for a motorcycle. So I like them because, well, I didn't, did I like them? I didn't like them at a motorcycle show because they're definitely not motorcycles. Just like a slingshot's not a motorcycle and a can am that borders what a motorcycle is or isn't. So I did check out the three wheelers. I did like the the uh, Vanderhalls because they did look really Art Deco and they were done really well. And I'm an old you know fab guy. I just like metalwork and fab work and um, you know work in all sorts of mediums, I guess. And I did like the way they looked. They had this real retro look to them. And so, yeah, I I did like that, but I didn't really think that they fit in really well at the car show. And I think it was just a place for them to debut. The LA International Auto Show was also that week, I think. Maybe it was the next week. I'm not 100% sure. But I think they would have done probably better there than at the motorcycle show. A lot of people at the motorcycle show kind of sneer at the three-wheelers that that go there especially when they have a big car body on them you know like the slingshot i'm telling you it's like got a steering wheel and recaro racing seats and the can-am is more motorcycle than the slingshot so i i don't know i think the the kind of a poor placement for those um now the the other thing that he said was uh joe jost's i'd never heard of joe jost but that place is like a hundred billion years old i think cavemen ate there and it looks rad Next time, Bri, next time you're down there, we're going to hang out. We're going to go to JoJo's together. And as far as the video game, he said he downloaded the Trials game and SBK. And uh, yeah, that's pretty cool. That I, I love the Trials game. I don't know which one he downloaded. If he downloaded um, Trials Frontier, which is like my favorite one, or if he downloaded the other Trials one. But uh, yeah, that's awesome. And the video game. Oh, yeah. So, was I drinking during the video game part? Because <laughs> I was at three-quarter speed. Let me tell you, I was running on two hours of, like, rec- of trying to edit that recording down. Because I did a lot of talking. And if you listen to the intro of that show, I say, let me tell you about my uh, Thanksgiving break. And I don't. I don't tell you what I did over my Thanksgiving vacation. I'll tell you this time if you want. But there was a lot of stuff that I did. And a lot of stuff I rambled on. Because I do that. It's 15 minutes and I'm talking about the first email. Um, yeah. So basically I wasn't running at three-quarter speed. It was I was re-recording that super late at night. And the little studio where I record doesn't have a door on it. It's like a nook, I guess. And everybody in my family is asleep. Plus it was late and I just recorded like two hours. And I'm thinking, dude, I got to like chop this out and kind of re-record this part. So it wasn't as spunky, I don't think, as it was in the very beginning. So there you go. That's why two hours uh, or, you know, that's why that segment sounded like I was probably dr- drinking. I should have been drinking at that point. Like it probably would have spiced it up a little bit. Uh, as a matter of fact, let me take a sip of coffee right now as a 
You, uh, this is the cafe podcast, <laughs> cafe racer. I'm actually sitting on a motorcycle recording this tonight. I feel pretty cool. Hang on one sec. Let me take a sip. Mm. Oh, yeah. God dang. That's good. So, yeah, I'm actually sitting on a motorcycle while I'm recording this. I decided to do it out in the garage. I've been working on some stuff, and I'll tell you a little bit about that. So, anyway, yeah. Uh, I should be, I should drink, probably make the show a little bit better, but, uh, I did not. But, um, yeah. So another person emailed me, what was it about the video game? Have I looked at MotoGP 15? I think was the game. They said that game is super realistic and, you know, looks it looked totally simulator, I guess. So, so that's really cool because, of course, I mentioned that that's the sort of stuff I really like was stuff that is pretty much like a simulator, which gets me to more stuff that's popped up. You know, I didn't even talk about the spinoff, the biker spinoff that Rockstar Game is doing. I should should have probably talked about that because that was like the impetus for that whole uh, segment. But uh, I talked about the game called Ride that looked a lot like Tourist Trophy. And now uh, I see from, oh, I, this is like from la- the beginning of last month, Ride 2s came out on Xbox One and PS4. And I looked at the video of this, and it looks a hell of a lot like Tourist Trophy. It really does. And the, the gameplay, even the tracks, I'm looking at the tracks going, hmm, that looks like the proprietary tracks from... Uh, tourist trophy and gran turismo so i didn't see polyphony or polyphonic digital anywhere on this it actually looks like it's a totally different company altogether but it looks like they either worked in conjunction with or maybe changed names or something like that and it's it's a different uh company now or something but ride two you have to check it out it looks so bitchin the bikes look really real uh, the handling looks like it probably is simulator like and the views and the playback looks just like tourist trophy. So I don't know. It looks like a really good game. So ride and I'm going to add ride two to that last list from last week. So that SBK and, uh, Moto GP 15, those have been all recommended by listeners. So that's pretty cool. I feel really excited that people, for whatever reason, people got stoked on that, uh, video game segment. All right, more listener feedback uh, via Facebook, of course. There's a lot of people that have sent me stuff. Uh, Mr. Singsime is one. He and I collaborated on on a little article. I've yet to get that up on our site. Um, I was trying to to kind of collect some other stuff that he had, he sent me over the months. This guy is like such a wealth of resources. And if you've listened to the Motorcycles and Misfits podcast, like he contacts them all the time and gives them pointers probably on like fab work and stuff like that. So, I mean, this, this guy is just awesome. Last year he gave us a whole bunch of tax uh, tips t- of tax tips on how to do your taxes and avoid uh, audited. No tech tips on storing your bike for cold weather. And it's basically, it's been a year because here it is again. And, uh, people are just about getting ready to put their bikes up. So, yeah, there's a bunch of stuff that I have on deck. I've been trying to uh, upgrade and do some things. So if it doesn't come out right away, please understand. It'll still be relevant when it does. I won't let it linger too much longer. But yeah, that's really exciting. 
Also, speaking of Mr. Singsime, you have got to keep your eyes. The WIR Top 10 Bikes Facebook page, which is really their presence for the Top 10 list at Wisconsin International Raceway, that page has been blowing up. And it's been blowing up because they are in winter mode right now. And I think, you know, everybody's kind of in the, uh, not in the holiday spirit, but in the, like, I can kind of sit back a little bit and work on my bike and talk some smack uh, mode and come race season I guarantee like it's gonna go back to nobody talks like all of a sudden the boards get quiet and then on race day all the shit flies because everyone's like oh okay now you see what I got but yeah they get serious about that stuff and yeah the boards have been loading up with lots of cool memes the list has been reposted on there so all that stuff go check that out that's really cool uh maybe if you guys want, we can do a little winter, like off-season interview with some of those guys. Round up uh, two or three of the stars, like um, well, Michelle Mankiewicz comes to mind. Maybe we can get Guy Bellinger on the top. I think his name's Bellinger, and he probably doesn't like that I call him Bellinger, Bell Anger. But yeah, we can get um, a few people from the list. Hope maybe together do a little conference call and see. Uh, What's going on? See if they'll give us any of their secrets and uh, what they're looking forward to for the next season. But yeah, this, it's really awesome to watch that shape up. Someone else who uh, continually contributes to the page is uh, Eric R. And Eric, thank you so much. He sends me all sorts of cool kooky stuff on, you know, just everything that's maybe even out there, kind of weird stuff to some really awesome bikes. He just sent me the... Uh, a pretty cool video for the 1290 Super Duke R. And I have to say, man, I agree with you. That thing is totally wicked, nasty, superb, supreme. And that would be a, a freaking fun bike just to get the chance to flog and rail around until you just high-sided yourself right off of it. I do want to talk a little bit about styling and all that great stuff on this episode. But man, that is one bike that's just got all the styles to it. It has all of them. And starting with that front headlight, the trellis frame, just the, the aggressive body look, ugh, that whole bike. Uh, so, hey, Eric, something else you might be interested in. There is a podcast on the, I don't know if it's called the Stuff Network or the How Stuff Works Network is probably what it's called. But there's a, you know, the 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 same network that has the How Stuff Works podcast or Stuff You Should Know podcast. They have a podcast called Things They Don't Want You to Know, and I think that would be right up your alley. There's a lot of crazy cuckoo stuff on there that uh, the hosts do a really good job of presenting in a logical way, and it's kind of spooky. So yeah, that might be a good one for you. Um, the last email I want to follow up with comes to creative writing from a list, uh, not a listener, an emailer named Jack, just Jack. And it starts off this way. Hello, beautiful. Good day, dear. I hope this mail meets you well. I should probably read it in probably how Jack sounds. Hello, beautiful. Good day, dear. I hope this mail meets you well. <laughs> My name is Jack from the U.S. <laughs> I doubt it, Jack. Uh, I know this may seem inappropriate to ask for your forgive, So I ask for your forgiveness, but I wish to get to know you better. If I may be so bold, I consider myself an easygoing man, adventurous, honest, and a fun-loving person, but I'm currently looking for a relationship in which I f will feel loved. 
I promise to answer any question that you may want to ask me, and all I need is just your attention and the chance to know you more. Please tell me more about yourself, if you do not mind. Hope to hear back from you soon. Jack. Oh, here it goes. I'm going to type Jack back. Dear Jack, I am a dude. I am beautiful, though, so thank you. (laughs) I'm not going to email Jack back. I listened to a a radio lab or something like that on scammers and how they scam people for money and they they get attached to lonely women, lonely old cat ladies who've been divorced for five years and are looking for love and they don't care if it's a long distance romance. So Jack, unless you're going to throw down some bike parts, like unless I can do this, get to know you and flip it around to where you give me money, it's not going to work out, bro. So too bad. All right. Yeah. If you, if you have an email or, Anything you want to throw down to the show, do it at uh, creativewritingpodcast at gmail.com, and I'll read anything. And it's funny, I our Tumblr followers are just blowing out the roof. We're almost to 1,000 followers with just no... I, I've barely even publicized it here on the page. Once in a while, I, you know, I kind of throw it in with our contact information and the show notes, but who the hell reads show notes? And I have to say, it's going wazuki, and... The followers, I have to say there are some really crazy artistic followers on there and some really cool motorcycle-related stuff. But then there's also the tranny masturbation ones that uh, I really don't think you're following me because I'm a motorcycle blog. I think you're, like, following me hoping that I follow you back or something or you're just, like, a spam site. Yeah, and then there's the ones that's like, oh, Rad, look at this. Look at this cool motorcycle. And it's the very first picture on their Tumblr. And then you scroll down to the next one, and it's some chick getting fish hooked while some dude's doing double penetration anal on her. And it's like, come on, man. And then you're like, well, maybe it's just this one. And then you scroll down. Nope, Bukaki. So yeah, like, come on, guys, please. Well, not you, because they're not listeners of the show. That's just like the type of spam that you have to deal with when someone sees that you've got like, a decent amount of followers, so they just, you know, throw their crap on there, so everyone goes, oh, who's this, who's this, oh, ah, it's a transvestite getting banged in the butt while uh, some dude's pulling her hair, and uh, another dude's just spraying crap on her face, it's German porn, so yeah, it's like terrible stuff that I'm like, oh, look at this, a cool motorcycle, and then you scroll down to the next picture, and it's not a cool motorcycle, it's not a cool motorcycle at all, so anyway, you can check out our Tumblr page, Actually, yeah, do that. Check out our Tumblr page. I tried to uh, only like the really good stuff that's on there. And being Tumblr, there is so much good material on there. So, yeah, check that out. And let's talk about some other stuff. Yeah, more stuff. Hey, Brian, that transition was much too long. Uh, so, hey, what I want to talk about is Thanksgiving. Why do I want to talk about Thanksgiving? Man, it's almost Christmas. And uh, the reason I want to talk about Thanksgiving because of all the stuff that happened. And now, a lot of stuff happened. And uh, let me, oh, gosh, I'm so intrigued by this email by Jack. Let me, uh, let me trash it real fast before I get tricked into falling in love with someone who is uh, a Nigerian scammer. Okay, done. My wife wouldn't dig that too much either. Hey, babe, I'm hooking up with this Nigerian bro. He's paying for my bikes. <laughs> so anyway, yeah. So over Thanksgiving weekend, something happened to me. And not just 
I ate a turkey. You know, some of the stuff. I went out of town. I know. I've been going out of town a lot lately. So what happened over Thanksgiving is now here in the Southwest, Thanksgiving is traditionally the beginning of desert season. I know back east, it's like, you know, mid turkey season or whatever. And, you know, a lot of deer season or black powder season. Hell, I, I forget all the seasons. But out here on the in the West, especially here in SoCal, is desert season. Why? Because the desert is finally not 120 degrees and you can go out there and a lot of people do Thanksgiving in the dirt. Now, what's better than a, a gritty turkey that has tumbleweed seeds and sand in it? Well, brapping through the dunes with your family. But was I at the dunes? No, I was not. I was at some place that's normally reserved for the summertime. The Colorado River. I went over to Arizona for Thanksgiving and spent the weekend at Lake Havasu. Never been to Lake Havasu to my knowledge before. I've been to the river before with some friends. I grew up a poor kid on the banks of the Mississippi River, so I don't even know what part of the Colorado River we were on because, you know, if it was my family, I wouldn't even have got to go there. So I just went with this family. As weird as that sounds, I went with a strange family to the river. Does that sound weird to you? Is it starting to get weird? Well, it, was, it wasn't. It was fun. We rode jet skis, okay? So I don't think we were at Havasu, but I'm, you know, could be wrong. The only thing I know about Lake Havasu is I've seen some very inappropriate videos that my ex-roommate used to bring home. All of his bro dude co-workers would give him. And I know that bad things happen out at Lake Havasu if you're a female. Because the ratio of women to men is like 12,000 to 50. And so the chances of you getting naked and getting beer poured on you and probably cummed on is really high. That's all I know about Havasu. But in the wintertime, it's a totally different place. Uh, I have to say, as soon as we cross the border from California, you slow down from 80 and you do 65 or else you're written a ticket and probably shot by not the cops. Oh, the cops don't shoot you there. Uh, the uh, the people will because it's if you're road raging and it's like an open carry state. Yeah, you're uh, you're messing with, with trouble. So one cool thing that I noticed as soon as we cross the, the state line is all of a sudden... Arizona, I've never looked into it. it, must be a BLM state because uh, in California, you can really only go off-road. Well, most of California, at least that I'm aware of, is SVRA and OHV, which is State Vehicle Recreation Area and Off-Highway Vehicle uh, vehicle Recreation Areas. And there's not a whole lot of like just land where you can just drive out, you know, take your trophy truck back it off the trailer and just go rip around on the side of the freeway. Guess what? In Arizona, you can be doing 65 on the freeway or 55 in your, if you're in a township and just peel off the road and just haul ass up. There's literally thousands of trails. You can just see them all going out into the desert. And Lake Havasu isn't like tumbleweeds and uh, scorpion desert. You know what I mean? It's not like where... Snoopy's cousin would always come cruising in from. I think his name was Spike. You know, you ever watched the uh, Charlie Brown Thanksgiving or whatever the hell? Spike comes cruising in from the desert and it's like a tumbleweed and uh, a horned lizard are out there on a rock and that's it. No, this is the other type of desert when you think of probably like New Mexico and uh, 
Utah and stuff like that with like the big, beautiful, crazy red rocks and all that stuff. That's how this was. I kind of felt like I was on Mars, actually. And I think they probably filmed The Martian. If they hadn't filmed it on actual Mars like they did, you know, that's why the budget was so high for that movie. They would have probably filled it in, uh, filmed it in Arizona. I think I said filled it. I don't want to be wrong. So anyway, yeah, we went over there. And it was just so cool watching these little side-by-sides. Now, I, well, let's just say that I did not know the side-by-side was such a crazy alternative to motorcycles. Because in SoCal, you mostly see quads and motorcycles out of the deserts. Or you'll see like dune buggies, which, you know, car guys versus motorcycle guys. I get it. But side-by-sides, they kind of straddle the line. They're, they are a power sport it's not a dune buggy. When I think of dune buggy, I think of like street legal sand rails that has like an old VW or Corvair motor in it, or hell, the new ones that has like the Cadillac motors in them, and they're running like 600 horsepower. I don't think of a little Razor scooter or like uh, the Wolverine and all that crazy stuff. But listen, man, you go to Arizona, and I did see some trophy trucks that were plated, and I did see some actual like class. 10 dune buggies or some like that like class 7 looking dune buggies that were plated but uh i hope class 7 isn't like a truck class and i sound like a total asshole because i am an asshole and i'm kind of dumb about that stuff but anyway you get the point right it was a dune buggy for pete's sake and it's driving on the freeway and it was so radical and then it would just peel off and go up the hill and yeah, my son was freaking out. Look at those race cars, Daddy. You know, he's five. He's real dumb. He doesn't know anything. But he's like, look at those race cars, Daddy. And there was a red and a yellow. You know, I am i don't know the brand. It looked like they could have been Can-Am. Could have been a Razor. Could have been, a, a, you know, Yamaha Wolverine for all I know. I don't know what they were, but they were coming down. Um, hell, it could have been a Kawasaki Terex. Do you want me to just try and name off all the ones I know? I mean, that's about it. I don't know any more cool, sporty ones. But anyway, yeah, they were just peeling down the side of the road and we're just cruising by on the freeway and they came down and the little path runs where you would pull over to change your tire. Oh, don't do it there. That's a off-road trail, my friend. So in California, you can't pull over there unless it's an emergency. In Arizona, you can't pull over there because it's an emergency because that's a trail and you'll get roosted on, sucka. So yeah, I thought that was so rad and they were just... You know, I've always looked out the window when I'm driving, especially when we drove up through Santa Cruz and San Francisco and you're going through those rolling hills, like through Livermore and stuff. And I just think, man, if I had like a dirt bike or a dual sport, even I would just peel off the freeway and just love to like just take off up one of those hills, you know, up onto someone's private land and probably get shot by the cops because it's California. But in Arizona, you do that. You actually do that. You just drive off the freeway straight onto a path, onto like a, 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 not even a fire road, just like this crazy desert trail. And then as far as you can see out, like if you ever drove from California to Vegas, there's those expanses of just desert, wide open desert on the sides of the freeway that just go out for miles. And when you're dropping over the hill through what, you know, once you're past Barstow and you haven't got to Vegas yet, and you cr- you crest some of those hills out there, and you can just see the freeway. It's just this thin ribbon, like a piece of thread almost, compared to the vastness of the landscape around it that just snakes its way through the desert and eventually disappears over another rise. That all that stuff out there on the side, everything you know, like I'm I'm telling you, the freeway looks so uh, pencil thin and 
compared to the vastness of the land around you. And you can't go out on any of that crap. It's all like state or private or hell, railroad land. I don't know what it is, but I don't really think you can just drive out there. Now, in Arizona, all that stuff's covered in trails. And they're not like wrecking the environment trails. It's like through the uh, the rocks and the canyons and everything. Oh, it's so rad. So I, I was just like, dude, this is like an off-roader's dream. If I, if I had, you know... Uh, a razor or something like that, you know, out here, you got to go to your, you got to drive until you hit a park that you can take it into over there. They were plated and makes me think that they probably have to be insured and all that stuff, which made me think like, Hey, what is this that you can do in all these other States that you can't do here? You know what I mean? So I'm sorry. I was starting to think about that, but they're plated and you just drive that shit around. And then when you get the itching, when you get the hankering, and you need a little action, and you can't get no satisfaction, you just peel right off the road and out into the field or out onto the side of the state because that's all state. And you're a resident, you just drive out there. So state is yours, my friend. Make it square. So, yeah, that was my takeaway from vacation over, you know, what most people do here in Cali is go out to the desert what most people do in Arizona, apparently year-round, is just drive and have fun and do all that crazy stuff. On the way back, the windstorms were insane. We stopped off at Calico Ghost Town. Um, even at Calico, there's like a little, you know, the trail goes through there. There's like a little off-road parking area that you can stage up and you can do some camping. Um, and if you camp at the campground, you get to go to the, to the uh, ghost town, which is really cool. I would check out Calico if you get the chance. There's like five original buildings there, and um, it's pretty fun to, to go there and just explore a piece of California's history. And in the meantime, you know, ride up there, get some lunch, walk around an old mine shaft, then go back and get on your bike and brap it. Now, the trails are, you know, it, it's just basically like a continuation of Arizona out there. It's super fun. Uh, a lot of cool trails out there specifically out in that part of the desert. But Calico is up on this hill and you got the 15 and the 40 or something like that down in the valley. And dude, the dust storms from Calico, you could just see, you know, miles down. It's a couple miles away down in the valley. The dust was just like crazy. And even driving out of the parking lot, it was just such a windy day. And it was a whole windy weekend. Even in Arizona, it was windy. And but they didn't have the dust storms like we did on this side. And it was just so freaking nuts. Like I could barely see uh, motorhomes and bikes and stuff like that. You know, there'd just be these huge gusts that come up and the dudes, I felt bad because they had their barbecues out there. There's no way you're lighting that. Even if you lit it inside the motorhome and took it out, the wind would blow it out. Even if the lid was on it, it was like that windy. And, um, you know, it was almost like blizzard conditions where, uh, instead of a white out, it was like a tan out because like I couldn't see him anymore. All the dust coming through. It was pretty crazy. Yeah. The dust over Thanksgiving and, and specifically this time of year in the desert for some reason just gets kind of crazy. So that's something else. I mean, it's cool enough to ride. It's the official beginning of desert season. You know, Thanksgiving, a lot of families spend out there riding. And at the same time, these crazy dust storms kick up and you could see them out on the horizon. It looked like something out of a movie, just insane amount of, of dust blowing over everything. Remind me of the grapes of wrath. I just uh, started reading that the other night again and that's what it seemed like. So kind of crazy. Um, yeah, that's it for, for 
Thanksgiving. I hope if you live here in California and you kicked off your, you know, desert season by going out to the desert for Thanksgiving, uh, happy holidays and happy desert season. All right. If you live in another part of the country where it's extremely cold and snowy, I I apologize. Segway over, baby. That was a quickie. I'm loving these fast segues. So, <clears throat> ride report. <laughs> ride report. Guess what day it is? It's podcast day, and Daddy fell asleep last night. That's right. Instead of doing my podcast last night like I normally do, um, I crashed out. I went to bed. <laughs> and then I didn't wake up again when it was podcast time. So, ooh, this is going to be a rough one tonight, folks. So here, here's the deal. Um, I did. I wanted to talk about some customizing and things like that this week, but I want to take some time out really quick to, you know, mention some of the friends of the show. And I hope you haven't forgotten them. Right now, let's take a quick pause to talk about the people we love. I already mentioned one group you should be following if you're not already, and that's the WIR Top 10 Bikes. Follow them on Facebook. We've got to keep up on all the racing action over the winter break here. It won't be won't be long before racing action starts up again. We just had Johnny J and the from Johnny J and the Flatfoot Flugies on a show a couple episodes ago. Uh, go check them out at johnnyjswing.com or 59cafe.com. Check out their motorbikes, check out their music. Daily Bikers. We haven't mentioned Daily Biker Dan in a little bit, but if you go back to that episode that he was on, ooh boy, 19. Mm, something like that go check out dan and go check out daily bikers dan has been up to a lot lately and he got a job where he's riding a motorcycle every single day is he a test rider sort of he's he's an australian post rider and if you don't know the australian outback is full of man-eating koalas and face scratching kangaroos deadly pythons and the poisonous platypus and it, the the mail service there is conducted on little posty bikes, and Dan is a post rider now for the Australian Mail, and uh, so go check out Dan. He had to do that because not enough people are buying Daily Biker swag. I want you to go check out Daily Bikers on Etsy, and I think you can access a link through dailybikers.com, but go check it out. They've got awesome motorcycle-related Gifts. They have little journals. They have gift wrap. They have birthday cards, Christmas cards, uh, prints that you can buy, uh, all sorts of great stuff. Go over there, dailybikers.com. Look up Daily Bikers on Etsy and uh, check check out everything there. Who else? Scott Jones, Scotty T-Bone Jones from Noise Cycles, uh, doing a build for Born Free 9. So keep your eye on Noise Cycles. Check them out on all the social media. Great things coming out of there, and uh, I'm excited. Maybe I'll get a chance to talk to him again uh, before Born Free happens and see how things are going. Mark Dugali, he's been... uh, going ham lately on he did a bunch of stuff for burning man i think and he's just been making the rounds if you want a custom tattoo and you're on the west coast look him up on facebook or look up dogallery.com if you need something to fill up your podcatcher or whatever you listen to podcasts on probably your smartphone over the winter break there are tons and tons of motorcycle podcasts out there here are some of my favorites the motorcycles and misfits podcast from the recycle garage in sunny santa cruz california the wheel nerds cleveland moto the two enthusiasts podcasts 
I've also been listening to The Throttled, Loud Pipes, Motorcycle Men, uh, Law Abiding Biker Podcast, Wild Ride Radio. There's quite a few out there. The, the Above Idle Podcast, I should not forget that one. And uh, yeah, there's and there's a ton out there still. Some of them aren't as regular. Uh, the Cafe Racer Podcast, they come out about once a month. Um, there's other ones that don't even come out that often. So yeah, keep your ears peeled. And if you hear any good ones, send them back my way. If you need something to read, uh, like I mentioned earlier, I'm reading The Grapes of Wrath right now. Uh, I would recommend Blood Meridian. Holy shit, that's a crazy trip. Um, I see that Richard Hammond has a book called The Short History of the Motorcycle. So if you like Top Gear and you like motorcycles, Richard Hammond just might have something for you. And he's the guy that I couldn't remember (laughs) the name of uh, last episode. Um... Yeah, lots of great stuff. I I wouldn't recommend reading any of the good motorcycle books that are out there because it'll just make you want to ride, and it's too cold to ride. It's too cold, folks. So, all right, let's get back to the show. Okay, before I get into this next segment, I got to tell you, when I was sleeping instead of recording the podcast, I had this rad dream that I had this, like, super cool segment for the show and I it was like all ready and it was planned out in my in my dream for me and then like a typical dream when you wake up you can't remember it I'm so upset it was like the thing that was going to make this like a worldwide show and make all of you famous and everybody loved the show and now I can't remember it god I hate when that happens so let's just talk about something else <laughs> okay well, I cry and into my coffee here. So one of the things I want to talk about is uh, the Vanguard Motorcycle Company and some other stuff that's come out. Now, there's a lot of new stuff coming out that is questionable and design-wise and creativity-wise, but the Vanguard is one of these new ones that's popping up. It's going to be revealed at uh, the, the motorcycle show Long Beach, or Long Beach, the International Motorcycle Show Progressive in um, New York. On the ninth, and it's basically I don't know how to describe it, but it's been it's kind of been on the internet for the last couple weeks at least I think maybe the last week and it's it's roughly uh it, it's built in the u s so we're talking you know like confederate style stuff where and then you're thinking well if confederate prices and if it's modus prices and all this and that like okay let's let's see how how cheap is an American motorcycle really I think harley Davidson probably has the cheapest American motorcycles alongside uh, Victory and Indian, who are basically the same company. Um, Once you start getting out of those, the bikes start climbing. I mean, you can get an arch if you've got like 50 grand laying around. I think the Ronins from Magpul were somewhere in the neighborhood north of like 40,000 bucks. Same with like the Modus and the confederate wraith and all that stuff those things used to be just about as much as uh, air force one and if you've been listening to the news recently even the president elect is who who is a uh, self-made millionaire is poo-pooing the price of that plane so let's talk about the vanguard vanguard basically it built in new york city coming out for around 30 thou and uh when you think of like what you can get for 30 thou it, it's really do you like the R9T with the a little bit more of the like Confederate styling? Because that's kind of what it is for thirty grand. Unless you know, there's only one right now, so it is what it is, and it is expensive for what it is. But they're, they're, they're it's just a start. 
and everything's expensive when it first starts. I mean, computers were like $32 billion when they first came out. And now you can get a laptop for like under 200 bucks. So it's just the nature of things. And as they start and as they start selling more and there's, I think there's a lot of little, little motorcycle companies that maybe outsource some of their parts and then assemble them here. Like uh, Cleveland Cycle Works and stuff like that that build cheap bikes in America, but they're not really American-made bikes. You know, they're like Chinesium assembled here in a warehouse and then sold as an American bike. So this is an actual American bike, similar to the other ones I mentioned, and it's it's great because we. I, I like the fact that we're starting more stuff in America. What's not great is that. You know, even sport bikes and stuff. Now you're looking if you're if you're looking into get in getting into the motorcycle market, and you're not going to buy like a sub five hundred bike, five hundred cc bike. You're going to be paying around like ten or eleven grand. So you know that's a fair chunk of change, and not everybody's got that laying around. So when you see bikes that are like thirty grand, and you're like, great, another motorcycle company popping up in the U.S., and uh, the bike is you know, basically a year's salary for me. Great. That's, that's awesome. Um, let's not do that. Okay. Yeah. Well then it it seems like it's sort of discouraging, but what is, what really is cool is that we're kind of bringing stuff back here. There's, there's more and more, I think more and more people are getting encouraged to build here in the States. And I think more and more people are taking chances as things get cheaper, like, um, designing R&D tooling stuff like that. I have a friend who works with SolidWorks and from what I understand that's how Vanguard got their start was they built this thing in SolidWorks and SolidWorks is like a crazy crazy program and you can I I believe this is what my friend used to test like metal density and he he's built up motorcycle parts too in SolidWorks and he said you could I I believe it's SolidWorks where you can test the um you know at what point metal is going to break you can you can put them you know it's kind of got the metal properties built into it so you can use different metals and it will tell you uh you know what their rigidity is and it'll it'll measure frame flex and it does all this great stuff so you're able to do that now where back in the day you had to get an idea you had to sketch it out you had to figure out what you're going to make it out of you had to make cast you know molds for casting and you had to make whether you're using hydroform whatever process you're using first of all you got to get that those tools hydroforming casting you got to have all the stuff to do that and then you got to make it and make your prototype sometimes you used for the bodies you would use these big life-size clay mock-ups and stuff like that so it really was an expensive process to make a motorcycle and it would there just two guys are starting vanguard from what i understand and in the past two guys it would probably take like years look how long it took john Britton and his team of just a handful of people to build their, you know, now iconic motorbike. Um, you know, they did everything from hand. They did everything like they built all the the fairings and everything from hand. They had to test it. It, it did. It took them a long time too. So to to make a motorcycle from SolidWorks and be able to do it with just two guys and kind of create this whole virtual motorcycle without having to go through all the the testing and all the stuff because it does it for you in the computer. That's pretty cool. And then you still crank out a bike and you, and you know, obviously the materials and everything is going to cost money. All the electronics and everything costs money. So it's not like it's going to make it radically cheaper, but you don't have to spend billions to get, you know, to then crank out a $30,000 bike. You can just, you know, do everything in the computer, 
buy this stuff, and then get it together. Hold on a second. Ito's Topless Tampanade Taco Bar and Tin Tavern. This is Ben. How may I help you? Hello? So it is pretty great that builders nowadays are able to come in, not have to, you know, spend a bajillion trillion dollars on building a new bike. However, if you decide to, please don't make it a BMW. Those things are so clapped out. Go back to Bike XF five years ago when the R7 or the R750, huh? Huh? Slap myself for that one. When the CB750 was the bike of choice for custom builders and the cafe scene was just maturing quite nicely like a fine wine come to nowadays when everything's turning to bmws well we're running out of bmws so i start to see urals pop up when we run out of those the nipper or whatever the nipper is probably gonna pop up uh, people are loving these boxer old boxer twins and the old uh r motors from bmw but uh recently i saw rough crafts MV Agusta Ballistic Trident on there. And I wanted to say something. Just because you can customize and modify a bike and create something doesn't mean you need to. I have nothing against Rough Crafts. They make a lot of good bikes. I really love the color schemes. They tend to be black with like some muted, I wouldn't even call them gold, kind of a muted, dusty color uh, on a lot of the stuff. They really look pretty badass. And it reminds me of the Harley, ooh, god dang, I'm going to feel stupid. The Softail Pro Breakout, whatever the hell it is that just came out. God dang it, I'm going to look it up. The Dyna Lowrider S, that one, that one. It's black with kind of like dark gold wheels and um, or super, super burnt. I don't know what that color is. I'm not an artist. But anyway, yeah, you get you get the drift. So they came out with this MV Agusta, and the first thing I noticed was uh, it looks like they took an old dustbin fairing and accidentally forgot to make the rest of it. So it kind of looks like the Elephant Man. It's got this weird contraption up front that looks like it was an old prop bike off of a Japanese animation, you know, maybe a live action movie from the 80s. And they just took the rest of the fairings off. Like if you were to take Kaneda's bike uh, from Akira and turn it into a street fighter by taking everything but the front end off. And when I started reading up on the build, it, it says that they were inspired by the old MV dustbin fairings, but you can't just put half of something on or can you? Cause icon did it gloriously with the magnificent bastard. And this one just doesn't work. It just, it doesn't look like a dustbin fairing. It looks like, well, obviously it's not a dustbin fairing, but it looks like they, they, just through this weird big old car bumper on the front or something like they cut a car bumper in half and slapped a windshield on it and then set it on the bike sideways. Other than that, the bike is pretty magnificent with all of the gold trim that they're famous for. I think there's even some carbon fiber, lots of carbon fiber on this bike. So they're going the BMW and Ducati route, but that dustbin fairing has got to go in my opinion. So that's my question this week on the show is what does it take to be a good custom builder, make something that's going to make people say, wow, and at the same time, not go like crazy over the top on price or crazy over the top on aesthetics that just don't appeal to anyone except for like maybe the super hip and super out there that don't actually have to ride this thing around and crash it. You know what I mean? Let's face it. A lot of us want bikes that are practical and that aren't going to turn heads for the most part 
It's nice to look at a concept vehicle, and, and that's exactly what you want when you're building a concept vehicle. You want heads to turn, you want mouths to open, jaws to drop, oohs to ah, and ahs to goggle. I just made that last part up. Don't don't ever use that in, in person. It's terrible. God damn, you're the man But I think you get what I'm saying. It typically takes, you know, it takes people being interested in something to in order to, you know, future fun projects and, and get people to look at stuff that, you know, they're going to want to eventually buy or to, is eventually going to make you, I don't know, stand out from the crowd that you're you're amongst. And I don't know if sometimes as builders, as racers, obviously, you've got the podium to stand on. That's how you differentiate yourself. But when you're in a crowd uh, doing, you know, let's say even art, let's keep this uh, creative part of creative writing going. You're doing some writing you're doing a computer coding you're doing website design you're you're painting bikes you're painting cars whatever you're doing the only reason people are going to look at your stuff is either because it's a out there and batshit crazy like one of those crazy ass donk cars or those fucking harleys that are on like 33 inch wheels that are like dragging bags on the ground uh they got like air air suspension on them and you can't even ride them because they're so low until you lift it up you know a couple inches that type of shit and and you know so you need people to either gawk and be stunned or you need to make something that's so just pristine and beautiful that people take note at the IMS show there was a VMAX there that did just that and it reminded me of this rough crafts because of the the color schemes i, I think i kind of dig the black with the muted i don't know what this color burnt ochre or gold like super subdued gold uh faded orange like i i don't know what to call this color but it's on a lot of really cool looking bikes and and i think rough crafts is known for their kind of darker darker shades and stuff like that but looking at what they did to this mv compared to their other bikes i really i really like a lot of their other bikes but this one for me it was just too far out there and i think this is one of those gawk moments i think this is one of those things that stands out no other bike looks like this and partially for a reason because Nobody likes it. It's but like an ugly dog contest. They're so ugly, but they still get a prize. At the same time, they've done something unique here. And some people do like the old dustbin fairings. And see, that's where the problem comes in. When you're, If you're not racing and if you're not doing something super utilitarian that you know, that's going to make you stand out in one aspect, if you're doing something that's creative, you're really taking a chance. Going back to Vanguard for a moment. The Vanguard, I think they want to make motorcycles. I don't think that they want to be uh, just like a weird custom bike. I think they want to go the arch route where they find uh, a market that's going to be looking and maybe have some uh, income capacity to, to eventually buy that. The problem is they're going super hipster, but uh, like I said, it kind of looks like a R9T with some kind of sort of confederate styling to it um you know it's really hard to describe which is just nice that's one thing that you kind of want you want to stand out and and not be describable at the same time you want to be able to have people kind of relay though you know at least i can tell you that it's like a r9t and if you don't like that immediately you're shut off and turned off by that so fine you don't like r9t is great because just looking at this a little bit more and the fact that it, I said it kind of looks like Confederate styling, one of the designers actually worked for Confederate. So that makes a lot of sense. And if you don't like the bikes like the Confederate P51, I think it is, you know, with all the crazy, crazy 
design on that, almost like steampunky, but the wrong color. Uh, this is sort of sort of along those same lines. Um, going back to that NV Agusta by Rough Crafts, I don't think that's going to be a bike that people ride. You know, especially with that big fairing on there, the you know all that styling and look. I think that's going to be something that like a collector buys or somebody buy, buys it to put in their museum, motorcycle shop, whatever. Maybe even was consigned by somebody. I really didn't read too much about that one, except for that the parts you know that he had made for it, especially and all this and that. But those are that's one of those bikes that is a one-off custom bike where this Vanguard is. You know how many people own Confederates? How many people can afford thirty thousand bucks? I'm glad that we're making bikes again in the in the states, and that people are are trying to make a company and not just do bikes, get old bikes out of the junkyard and sell them as one-offs or do like the rough crafts thing where you make like, you know, you, you get something, you modify it, you resell it for three times its original value, which was already a little bit pricey. But you know, Vanguard, I, I don't necessarily see as the answer, but it is nice and it's a step in the right direction. And if they make enough of them, maybe they'll be like a Buell where they start making some sensible bikes, you know, for the, that are affordable for the rest of us. Let's get off of that. I think I've talked about those two bikes enough um, for being bikes that I don't even really like that much. I just thought it was it was interesting to look at design from the perspective of being one-off versus the, the purpose of being a marketable new brand coming out that, you know, but hey, we're going to be BF expensive and also make bikes that aren't necessarily appealing. Let's make a jaw dropper. And if people get enough interest in it, now let's make something appealing. I, I don't know if that's the right approach. But anyway, sp- w- I was talking earlier about, you know, how it used to, to make a bike, you used to have to make all these parts from clay or, you know, tool one up and get the tool to make it or have somebody machine it for you, which is a lot of how some of these bike builders do. They, they're not necessarily making their own parts, but, um, <coughs> pardon me, they have another company's machine them or they're sending them out or they're collaborating with, with people that already make something like Vance and Heinz or something in that specialty market. And I happen to be working on just some stuff in my garage. And part of the fun is just making stuff from scratch. And it does take a long time. I've been making a, a seat quite a while now, um, just because I, I did one part of it, got busy with some other stuff, coming back to do the second part of it. And it is, it's a time consuming thing. And if you're not doing it full time, getting paid for it, uh, it's pretty crazy. A lot of the people on the from the Motorcycles and Misfits will tell you and a lot of people from uh, the WI top 10 list because those guys make or kind of buy a fab part and modify. So they, they're making and modifying. And definitely one of the best podcasts that I totally forgot to mention, the Stock is for Squares podcast. Those guys do a lot of stuff that is definitely uh, not prefabricated it's modified it's made from scratch or bespoke if you will and that's it's really fun to do that and it's really fun to to design stuff the lucky thing for most of us is that if you have a really nice bike you don't want to mess with it and you don't want to thrash it anyway one of my coworkers does sort of that he buys bikes um, buys a lot of bolt-on stuff does enough modification to where it looks pretty sweet and then uh, resells them and they turn out just awesome. And I, I 
talk to him about getting some pics of his uh, FXR build that he's got going on right now for uh, maybe putting up on the site when he's done. I don't know when he'll he'll be done. You know, he he's takes his time on stuff, so that's it turns out really nice. But also. Just making a seat. Who the hell makes a seat? We go buy seats, right? Like a lot of people buy stuff and put it on. And to me, uh, just making stuff and tinkering with stuff is like what I just love doing. And even if it goes nowhere, I've I've spent a lot of time on certain things that ended up just getting thrown in the trash and or ended up looking so crappy when they were done. It's like you had this idea. It did not turn out the way I wanted it to because I'm not like Vanguard. I don't have solid works and I don't have uh, experience working at Confederate motorcycles to come in and make my own stuff later. And I don't have the tools and whatnot. So part of the fun for me is making tools, um, you know, hitting up swap meets. I mentioned that I think was in our last podcast. I talked about the DIY tech tip was don't be afraid of the swap meets, man. You don't need some new Bridgeport uh, CNC mill for your garage, obviously. So go to the swap meets and get the small stuff that you can for cheap, man. You don't need like a brand new thing, especially if it's like snap on. Usually that stuff's guaranteed for life no matter where you get it. You don't have to bring a receipt with you. You just take it back to a snap on distributor and they will fix it or replace it. And so you can find some really bitching stuff at the swap meets, especially if it's a guy who's getting old or selling the shop or something and getting rid of a lot of stuff. Booyah, you, you score, you know what I mean? And get a lot of quality stuff for a, just a mere fraction of the price. So that's sort of the same thing with making stuff, though. Even even making my seats going to cost me uh, a little bit of coin, but I'm going to get exactly what I want. Um, the f- Fit and finish and quality might not be the greatest because I'm obviously not a, a tailor or a seamster or an upholsterer, stuff like that. So it's not going to be pro like if I went to an upholstery shop. But I've done some pretty okay seats before that, you know, you can't, when my ass is on them and I'm riding around, you can't really tell. And when you're walking by the bike, if you don't stop and like stick your nose on the seat, which why would you do that anyway? That's kind of gross. But um, yeah, you, I mean, it just, it looks fine. You know what I mean? And so there's a lot of stuff, a lot of things that, as you know, a bike enthusiast, we like to do to our bikes, whether it's bolting on some stuff or making some stuff. And to me, that is the bread and butter, especially coming into the winter season. That's the bread and butter of being a bike owner. I just love getting in there and making some some crazy stuff. Uh, I wanted to I've took some pictures of the template I made a long time ago uh, out of cardboard. And I, I think I said on a previous show also that cardboard is the builder's best friend and keep sheets of it around. If you're somebody like uh, somebody in my family who will remain unnamed and buy something on Amazon almost every single day, um, you'll just have a plethora of boxes. I have a whole room in my house devoted to boxes and partially is because I have children and children play with expensive toys for about a week and a half before they totally forget they even own them or they break them into five different pieces. And after that, it's the box that's fun. And they go back to the box. Hell, my kid chased a balloon around for four hours yesterday and uh, did not pay attention to, you know, the stinking remote control car that grandpa got him that cost probably like 60 or 80 bucks or something. You know what I mean? So buy a balloons and boxes. Um, not only will they entertain your kids, they'll come in handy when you're building something and you need to fab up a little template real quick. If you're doing fiberglassing and stuff, it's great. 
And that's where what I want to talk about. That's where I'm getting into right now. I've built this thing out of uh, cardboard and took a bunch of pics. Luckily, I had the forethought to do that so that at some point when I'm getting further along, I can uh, put them up on our website and you can see how the thing goes. Now I'm doing like the body filler part because obviously cardboard, you can't really. I, I have fiberglass over cardboard before, but you can't. You know, unless it's like beautiful and perfect, then you don't want to make your final product out of that. So you go in and you fill it and you sculpt it kind of like the clay, you know, people used to do with clay. But, you know, I usually do it with with body filler, Bondo brand to be specific. And uh, then you go and you glass over it and you, you know, if you're going to go the gel coat route and make it look totally professional, you do all that stuff. So kind of doing that right now, making a making a seat pan. Um, from all that great stuff to custom fit a frame that I have also modified. So therefore, you're not just going to go out to, you know, it's always great to get a LaPera seat or a Mustang, Saddleman, um, Corbin, whoever the hell you're going to get your seat from. But they're usually made to the factory bike because a lot of us as as motorcyclists and customizers aren't necessarily builders or fabricators. So when you start to fab stuff, now you got to start fabbing everything. So that's another reason why I'm doing it all from scratch. And um, it's really fun just to learn new stuff and take your skill set a little bit further and get into that. So I told you that next year I will start bringing you updates on the B1R and the B1S, which is the, uh, the racer and the street, thus the R and the S version. Plus my little 250. Uh, I wanted to bring up my 250 right now uh, for reasons of of uh, promotion, I guess, for the uh, Ivy League flat track. I, you know, I flat tracked that thing down there in 2015. Didn't go at all in 2016, but 2017, they're going to be back in Del Mar at the uh, Del Mar Arena. And it's going to be a one time only. And last year they had, I want to say somewhere in the neighborhood of five events, I think at Del Mar or maybe four, something like that. And this year it's going to be one only. I think Brian Bell and the team at Ivy League, they've been expanding their network. They've been expanding their presence in the flat track world. And they've been partnering with Roland Sands Design, which is a huge, huge, you know, Roland Sands is a huge part of motorcycling, but he's also uh, a former racer and helped to get the hooligan flat tracking back on track, pardon the pun. But now they're, I think they're uh, making a partnership with the Indian, who I don't know if you've heard of this Indian motorcycle company. Who are they? But apparently they're getting back into flat tracking. And so there's only going to be one event at Del Mar, not a three uh, series season like they've done before. And then I think they just had like a couple other specialty races, one off things. But yeah, so this year is only going to be one and it's going to be January 28th and 29th, I believe. Yes, I believe those are the dates, 28th and 29th. 28th and 29th, I just looked at the stars and read the constellations, and I don't have a calendar. I, I do it the old school way, the the uh, Mayan way. I looked at my stone template here, and it says 28th and 29th. Uh, if you're interested in going or you're interested in racing, you better get on it. Uh, the prices uh, for racing are roughly the same, but the prices for spectating now, you can get a box. Um, comes as like a, a kit. I guess, but it's kind of pricey and um, I'm not hundred percent sure how many people get in with the box, but go to Ivy league flat track.com or IVFT.com, IVLFT.com, I guess is what that would be and check it out there. They have a race page already up. Um, so go check that out. 
Also, we already, you know, you heard me blather on about how I got to talk to Brian Smith and uh, just found some pretty sweet photos from the IMS show that I took of him. Uh, Speaking of customizing and what I just said about bikes being either obviously a one-off prototype jaw dropper that just gets people's attention and makes them say, what the hell? And then you come out with the bike later or being the type of builder where, as I was talking about the VMAX that was there, that was a beautiful uh, bike that somebody would want to buy now. Uh, Roland Sands was also there with, I believe it was a Bolt flat tracker slash street tracker. Also a bike that you would want to build or, or that you would want to ride straight out of there and, and not a jaw dropper. It was a jaw dropper because it was a pristine example of like what to do, you know, what can be done with the Bolt. And it was a really nice looking bike that wasn't so out there that, you know, it blows your mind in, in the wrong sort of way. So yeah, no, flat tracking and and street tracking. I just I love it, and there's so much stuff right now happening in that field that a lot of builders are going that way. Um, there was even a Yamaha Scrambler by uh, Jeff Pelegi Designs, and I know I've mentioned him before on the show. I might have called him Mitch Pelegi. I'm just like that. I just make up names for people. Hi, my name is uh, Cranky. So yeah, that's um, just some really cool. F- stuff that was like out there flat track slash street track related or scrambler related maybe and just so cool because that that whole scene i'm telling you next year we're going to focus on that as well um, along with our bike builds and maybe talking to some more bike builders and getting everybody inspired to design and inspired to build if that's your thing if that's part of your creativity on the other hand, I did mention that it was the official kickoff of desert season over the uh, Thanksgiving weekend. Uh, some other stuff has transpired. We had the Kurt Caselli Day in the Dirt out at Glen Helen. I believe the L.A. Barstow to Vegas was the weekend before that, uh, which is another kind of like dirt race going going from Los Angeles to Las Vegas the hard way, not on the freeway. And actually, if you hit it at the wrong time, it is the freeway is actually the harder way because you're stuck in traffic for nine hours to get, you know, a three and a half hour drive. So L.A. Barstow to Vegas is one of those these off road um, venues that you you basically drive your bike uh, through the hills to Vegas. So that's kind of cool. I think that happened. Um yeah, what else is happening? Oh, uh, Danny Eslick. I got to mention Danny Eslick. I just listened to an interview with him the other day, and he's getting into flat tracking. So all the off-road stuff and the riding techniques is something else I may be trying to focus more on in 2017. Um, now that it is officially desert season, time to get out there and spank those bikes until it gets too hot to ride again and get out there and do some cool enduro cross stuff if you never watched enduro cross you totally should it's like one of the greatest forms of racing and you can do it anywhere you can do it in the city or you can do it in the wilderness as long as you're doing it over obstacles that's what makes it fun so obviously if you've looked at our facebook page i've been posting up uh, videos from a youtube channel uh, joey mac 420 and this guy his identity is secret, but his writing skills are not. The, he, this guy is just nuts to watch, and he does the coolest enduro cross sort of stuff out here just east of us, like in Riverside. So, yeah, lots of cool stuff I have planned for next year. We'll see if it really happens. Uh, time is of the essence, especially around the holidays. It's really even hard to kind of get these shows out sometimes just with, uh, you know, 
falling asleep on the night that you're supposed to record. <laughs> That's one problem because I've been so busy and, uh, you know, just working full time, being a parent full time and trying to ride when you can. And uh, I have to admit, I didn't even get a ride this week. It's been pretty cold. It's been like 60 or below, which I know for anybody in Canada is laughable. It's like, oh, that's t-shirt and flip-flop weather, you little pussy. But I'll tell you what, it's been, you know, for me, that's kind of cold. And it's where I'm going this weekend. It's supposed to be getting down in the 30s. Obviously, I'm going to the mountains and I was going to ride my bike and I was like, oh, do I want to ride in the thirties? The reason I probably won't ride my bike is because I want to be able to haul up a bunch of food and booze and I can't really do that with my bike. So that's another reason to get a, a, a motocross bike or an off-road bike and get a trailer and have a reason to uh, go up there and go in the trails and stuff that are up there. So yeah, I will hopefully be talking about that more next year and we'll see what happens. I may turn the B1R into like a semi dirt bike or desert sled. It'll definitely be a desert sled because it's a big honker, but yeah, so we'll see how, how that goes and, and we'll, Hopefully that pans out next year. We'll see. As soon as I become a millionaire, um, I'll go ahead and start doing this stuff all the time. I'll just quit my job and start uh, working on bikes all day and then doing the show at night. So, um, But we'll have to wait till I become a millionaire, so don't hold your breath. But anyway, it's getting to the one hour and 20 minute mark. Uh, I am going to go ahead and cut it off here just because I do have to work tomorrow and uh I shouldn't have fallen asleep last night when I should have been recording. So I hope you had a good show. I hope you have a great weekend. Um, Maybe if I run into you, uh, check me out. I've grown a mustache and I'll wear a hat now. So if you see a guy with a mustache and a hat, it's probably me. And um, yeah, check you guys on the flip side. Take it easy. Hope I didn't bore you by talking about custom bike builders. And you're like, dude, I don't even like custom bike. I thought this show was going to be about like painting a motorcycle. You, you total dickhead. Like if I was there, I'd punch you in the face. God, you're so annoying and your breath stinks and all that great stuff. So, all right. Well, have a good weekend. Bye. Bye. This week's DIY tech tip. Listen to next week's show. Crimey folks, this week's sorry list is a long one. Creative Writing and its associates would like to apologize to the following people. Bri Viffer, Chris Singsheim, Michelle Mankowitz, Guy Bellinger, Bellinger. (laughs) Damn it. We'd like to apologize to Eric Buell, Johnny J from Johnny J Swing, Scott Jones, Brian Smith, Brian Bell, Jeff Pelegi, Danny Eslick, Joey Mac 420, Daily Bikers Dan, Mark Dugali. Most importantly, you, our listeners, we apologize. Creative Writing would like to extend its warmest apologies to the following groups the WIR's top 10. And we'd like to extend our warmest apologies to The Martian. The movie. Arizona, Lake Havasu, women who get cummed on at Lake Havasu, and turkeys. We'd like to say we're sorry to Ride 2, the Xbox platform and the PlayStation 4 platform. Sorry to Cadillac, Razor, the Yamaha Wolverine, Kawasaki Terex, Class 7 Racing, and my son. 
We also apologize to Can-Am, Vanderhall, Calico Ghost Town, California, the state of California, Daily Bikers, Noise Cycles, and the following podcasts. We're sorry to the Motorcycles and Misfits podcast. We're sorry to the Two Enthusiasts podcast. Sorry to Cleveland Moto. Sorry to the Wheel Nerds podcast. Sorry to the Throttled podcast. Sorry to Loud Pipes. Sorry to the Cafe Racer podcast. Sorry to Motorcycle Men. Sorry to Doghouse Two-Wheeled Radio. Adventure Rider Radio. We're sorry to... I can't even read what I wrote. Oh, the Law Abiding Biker podcast. Learn to write. We are sorry to Above Idle, False Neutral, and most of all, Creative Writing. We're sorry to the International Motorcycle Show put on by Progressive, happening in New York, December 9th. Go check it out and uh, check out the Vanguard. Sorry to Vanguard Motorcycle Company, Confederate Motorcycle Company, Harley Davidson, and Indian Modus and Victory Motorcycle Companies, followed by their cohorts, Arch Motor Company, Magpole Motor Company, we are sorry to Air Force One, sorry to SolidWorks, sorry to the following OEMs, uh, BMW, Honda, Yamaha. We are sorry to Tito's Topless Tampanade Taco Bar and Titty Tavern. Sorry to Bike Exif. Sorry to the Honda CB750, the Ural, and the Dnipper. We are sorry to Roughcrafts. We are sorry to Roughcrafts and Viagusta build... We are sorry to Donks. Sorry to Bondo Brand Repair Products. Sorry to the follow, following seat companies. We are sorry to La Para, Mustang Seats, Saddleman Seats, Corbin Seats. We are sorry to Ivy League Flat Track. Sorry to Del Mar. We are sorry to Roland Sands Designs, La Tigers, Indian Motor Company. Sorry to the Yamaha Bolt and the Yamaha Scrambler. We're sorry to L.A. Barstow to Vegas, Kurt Caselli, Kurt Caselli Foundation, and Kurt Caselli Day in the Dirt. And sorry to the Baja 1000. And we also, uh, our hearts go out to the families who may have lost a loved one in the Oakland fire and to the riders that perished uh, due to the heat in the Baja 1000. Um, we hope December cools off just a little bit around the world. You know what I'm saying? And uh, we're looking forward to Christmas vacation coming up. All right. Sorry to you for listening to the show, and we hope you tune in next week. Bye! That's okay. Sorry to uh, bother you. And some other stuff coming out, because it was the start of some stuff. Let's go back a couple weeks and uh, talk about Thanksgiving. Why? Well, your friends will slap you in the face. But first, oh, Brian, that int. There's another, an extremely risky proposition. But um, I'd like to get into some more uh, customer, customer input. Why did I, did I put that? No, I put listener input. What if I would have put customer input? What an idiot. Ah, oh, phone. Yeah, no. No, it hasn't. Not for real. And, uh... <laughs> That means getting these podcasts out to you on time has been extreme sport, extreme colon play.